So when we gathered last, we covered this subject of serving the body of Christ and the importance of the fact that we should. It is something, after all, that God calls us to. And Ephesians chapter 4 describes Christ as giving to the church the apostles, the prophets, the pastors, the teachers, and evangelists, not so that these few people could do most of the work, as many churches have the 80-20 rule unofficially in place in which 80% of the work is done by 20% of the people. You can look in the Bible and you can find strong scriptural support that every single person who is the bo- part of the body of Christ has been gifted by God to be involved in the body of Christ, serving one another out of love, so that the, the body grows as each part, joined together by every ligament, supports the body of Christ and helps to cause its growth so that we will always grow up into him who is the head. All of this is true. All of this is right. The whole church should be done, should be involved in serving one another through love for the building up of the body of Christ. But we run into a bit of a difficulty. Because you see, there's so very much that we are called to do by the actual people in the church. So many opportunities and places where we could serve. There are opportunities to serve in Sunday school, or in kids club, or in youth group, or in Sunday service, or Bible studies, or hunter's dinners, or weddings, or funerals, or or making food, or helping with prayer, or or mowing the lawn, or what have you. There's so many different opportunities to serve in the church. Opportunities to serve the the young, the the babies, or the kids, or to serve the uh, adults, to serve parents specifically, serve men versus women, or the chronologically mature. All different people, all different ways that we could serve. And we look around and we say, my life is already full and I need some me time. Why? Why is it that I should be involved in serving other people as well? Why indeed? Why? What should be our motivation for serving in the church, serving the body of Christ? If you and I don't get the why down, then we are missing out on a large portion of what God intends for you and for me when it comes to serving. God is fully able to use your service for His glory, whatever your motivation may be. Paul said once while he was in jail that the Philippians wrote a letter to him 
saying, Ah, oh, Paul, while you're here, there are people who are preaching Christ out of selfishness and ambition. And they're just trying to stir things up. And so they're preaching the gospel. And, and what, do you, what do you think we should do about this, Paul? And you know what Paul said? Paul says, I don't care what their motivation is. If Christ is getting preached, I am praising the Lord. God can use your service, whatever your motivation may be. But on the other hand, if you don't get the motivation down, if you don't have the right motivation, you may miss out on the personal benefits. It said that once there was a man who was in a church. Not this church. This church, this is about taking tithes and offerings. And we as a church, we have a, a box you can put donations in in the back. But we don't have a part of our service to do this. But in one of these churches, there's this communion plate that was passed by an usher who actually had the communion plate on a pole so that people uh, he could just take this plate on a pole and and put it in front of people as he walked down the aisle and people didn't have to touch and pass the plate they just had to drop the money in and there's this man that attended church and he always had a couple bucks on Sunday at the end of his week in his pocket. And so he would always just reach in and whether it was a one or a five, whenever that plate passed, he would always just reach in and put whatever was in there into the, the offering plate. One dollar, five dollar, fifty cents. But one day, that earlier that weekend, he had an event, a larger event, where he had withdrawn from his account a couple hundred dollars. And he had not spent all of that money. And so he came to church that morning, woke up the next day, not remembering that he had in his pocket a hundred dollar bill. And as the usher came to him during the service and put that offering plate in front of him, almost by rote, he just reached into his pocket and he took out that hundred dollar bill. And dropped it in and he got a startled look on his face as he looked in the offering plate at this hundred dollar bill he looked at the bill he looked at the usher the usher looked at him he looked at the bill and the man started to tentatively reach his hand back to take that hundred dollars back out of the offering plate and the usher pulls the offering plate away as if to say ah no you're not you gave that money and I'm keeping it for Jesus looks great for the church the picture I'm painting, doesn't it? But then that man, well, he kind of sits back in his seat, crosses his arms and says half to himself, half to the usher, well, at least I'm going to get credit from God for that $100. And the usher looks back at him and says, God can use that $100 for his glory. But he's only giving you credit for the one to two dollars that you meant to put in. You see, God can use your service for anything, but why you do it matters. And if you are serving, but you're serving the church out of a grudging heart with no desire to do it, then I'm not saying that that's not good service. 
that God can't use that. What I am saying is you are missing out on the joy that God wants to give you to transform your heart, to make you more like Jesus and draw you closer to himself. Because motivation does matter, guys. And so that's what we're going to be looking at today. We are going to be exploring not that we should serve, but why should we serve. And we're going to explore four primary motivations, not the only four, but four of the main motivations that we can have for serving in the church. Thankfulness, love, identity, and rewards. We're actually going to spend most of our time in that last one because the others are important, but rewards are the one we know the least about, perhaps. Let's take a look at that first motivation, though. Why we should serve. We are told we should serve out of thankfulness as a motivation. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 tells us, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. You see the motivation Paul is giving the church here for their service? He says, I want you to present your bodies as a sacrifice to God. I want you to give yourselves. But he says, I want you to give your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. I don't know how you have always viewed that verse. Growing up, I looked at that verse and I thought, I need to make myself holy and pleasing to God. I need to make myself holy and pleasing to God. But that's not, I think, what Paul is actually driving at here. You see, Paul has established for 11 chapters that because you have trusted in Christ, God has declared you righteous. God is at peace with you. You are holy before God, acceptable to Him because of what Jesus has done through you and in you and for you and because of your identity in Him. God is not saying, make yourself holy and acceptable to God and then sacrifice yourself further for Him. He is saying, guess what? In Jesus Christ, you are holy and acceptable to God. And so by the mercies of everything that God has done for you, I urge you, to give yourself to God. It is out of a sense of thankfulness for everything that God has done to serve you. You ought to turn around and say, God, I will live my life thanking you for what you've done for me by serving others. The second reason that we have for serving is love. Galatians chapter 5, verse 13 through 14 tells us, You are called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only don't use your freedom as an opportunity to indulge your flesh, but through love, serve one another. For the whole law can be summed up in a single commandment, namely, you must love your neighbor as yourself. Why do we serve? We serve out of love. Why do I wake up in the morning pour coffee for myself and then pour coffee for my wife and bring it to her? 
I could do it out of selfishness. I do it out of love. Because I, I care for her. Why did Jesus come and do so much for you? He did it because He loved you. Love was God's motivation for what He did for you. And He then turns around and says, I love these other people too. I love those who have believed in Me and are My children and those who have... (coughs) Excuse me. And those who have not believed in Me. I died for them too. And I love them and I want them to believe in Me. Serve out of love. Thankfulness and love. The third reason that we should serve, a third motivation, is identity. Identity, guys. Go back to Romans chapter 12, verse 1. We serve out of a thankfulness in view of God's mercies. After all that He has done for us, we should serve. But there is also in that same verse, I already said it, I'm going to highlight it again, this sense of identity. I serve because it is a part of who I am now. I am holy and righteous. I belong to God. I am one who is no longer separated from God. I am a part of the body of Christ. And as a part of the body of Christ, this is literally written into your and my spiritual DNA. We are no longer those who at our core are people that serve ourselves and are disconnected from God and God's people. We are connected to Him and so that is a good and true and right motivation. When you serve, there should be this sense in which you say, of course I serve the body of Christ. It is who I am built to be. We serve in the body of Christ out of a sense of thankfulness, out of love, out of our identity. And finally, we serve Christ out of, for the sake of rewards. Yes, rewards. This is likely the most belittled of the motivations that we have. After all, we say, Jesus has done so much for us. And if I serve for a sense of, for the things that I can get out of God, doesn't that turn what I have selfish? Doesn't that make my motivation all about me? Well, if there was no backing in Scripture, maybe. But if God gives us a motivation in His Word to pursue these rewards... Do you and I have a right to call it bad? Mark chapter 9, verse 35. Jesus sees his disciples arguing about who is going to be the greatest. He asks them, well, what's going on? And they don't want to tell him because they're embarrassed. But he knows anyways because he's Jesus. And so he sits them down on the road and he says, if any of you wants to be first, then shame on you. You shouldn't be thinking about that. No, he doesn't actually say that, does he? What does Jesus say instead? He says to those disciples who are just arguing about who is going to be first, he says if anyone wants to be first, he must be last and be servant of all. 
Now there is this sense of humility that we ought to have, but look a little deeper. Why is he telling them to be the servant of all here and now? Because he says the one who is last and servant of all now is the one who will get the reward of being first later. Why? I think because being choosing to be last means we gain this sense of humility, this humble attitude which Jesus is looking for in the character of those he wants serving in the highest roles of leadership in the new heavens and new earth. He wants you to seek out these rewards. Just look at the parable of the talents, Matthew chapter 25. There's, he describes a master who is going away on a long journey and he gives this money to the three of his servants. Each of them gets varying amounts of money. The one who gets ten talents of money, of silver, goes out. And what does he do? He invests that money. So that by the time his master comes back, he is able to say, here is your ten, plus your ten more. And the master says, well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful with little. Now... I will give you much to be faithful or over. Come share in your master's happiness. And the man who received five likewise went out, doubled his money to give back to his master, and his master came back and blessed him. And what happened to the last one? The last one took what he had and said, I just, I'm not going to do anything with it, man, because I might mess up. I might make things worse by trying. And the master's like, you wasted it. And he does not get blessed. He does not get rewarded. And who is it that we should seek to be like? Man, if just continuing to be the servant of the Master is enough, it shouldn't really matter, should it? But Jesus gives us this incentive of chase after these rewards, this commendation from our Master when we see Him again. That should be a great motivation for why we serve. How about 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 11 through 15? Paul himself is speaking, and he tells us, No one can lay any foundation other than the one we already have, Jesus Christ. But anyone who builds on that foundation may use a variety of materials, gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, or straw. But on Judgment Day... Fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. Pause. I don't think that this is the fire of hell. Paul is talking here to believers. We assume that fire always means hell or angry judgment. I think that Paul is talking about a refiner's fire. That when you take gold from a mine and you melt it, what happens is the weight of the gold will sink down and the rest of the things, the dross, will come to the surface and you can scrape it off the top so that when you're done, you are left with just the gold. More pure than before. More valuable. Going back in. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. 
If the work survives, that builder will receive a reward. But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. The builder will be saved like someone barely escaping through a wall of flames. Motivation matters when we serve in the body of Christ. Motivation matters. There may be two people. Two people, let's say pastors, because that's kind of who I did. Let's say you get one person who is a pastor over a megachurch of 100,000 people. And he, ha- he writes books and has great acclaim. And he has so many people who say, oh, this is the best person ever. He speaks better than anyone else. But all that he does, every ounce of good that he does to serve other people is ultimately for himself so that he can get more money to spend on his pleasures so that he can get the fame and the acclaim of other people saying what a great person this is and everything that he does, no matter how sincere he sounds, no matter how successful his ministry may be, everything he does is for himself. And then there's another pastor who is a faithfully serving a church of eight people, just a couple families, in this place where Christianity is not well known or greatly believed. And he is trying to reach out to people, but there aren't very many people. The man, he faithfully serves. He sacrificially serves. And he serves because he says, after all God has done for me, what else can I do? He serves because he says... I have a great love for these people who have believed and a great love for these people who have not yet believed but may believe if I can speak witness to Christ for them. And he does this because he says, this is who I am in Christ. What else can I do? And he does this because he says, I want Jesus to hear me say, I want to hear Jesus say, well done, good and faithful servant one day. But his church never grows beyond eight besides himself and his wife. At the end, when both of these men stand before Jesus, Jesus will say to look at both of these men and he will commend one over the other. Who do you think he's going to commend? The person who had the incredibly fantastic looking ministry on the outside or the person who did what he did to serve out of a faithfulness and a love for Jesus Christ? He will commend and reward that small church pastor. No matter how small his ministry may have seemed. For serving with the right motivation. God can use both men to great effect. But God will reward one over the other. Now I could have done that as two small church pastors or two mega church pastors. There's nothing inherently better about size of one church or the size of the others. I was just using that for that illustration, but I hope you can see. Jesus tells us, Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 20, don't store up treasures here on earth where moth eats at them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal, but store up your treasures in heaven 
where moths and rust cannot destroy, and thieves don't break in and steal. For wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. Rewards are an entirely valid reason to serve. Heavenly rewards, pursuing the praise of our Lord Jesus Christ and whatever reward he decides to dispense along with us. But ultimately, whatever your motivation may be, guys, serve. Serve one another as Christ has served you. Serve out of thankfulness. Serve out of love. Serve out of an identity in who you are or for rewards, but serve. As Colossians chapter 3, verse 23 says, work willingly at whatever you do, as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for this gift that you have given us of serving one another. Jesus, you came and you gave your life for us. In Hebrews, Jesus, we see that you served, you scorned the cross, despising its shame, because you saw past the pain towards the reward of what would be coming down the road as a result of your service. Jesus, we do the same. Help us to serve, not just because we feel we must. Help us not to do it grudgingly. Help us to do it with a heart of thankfulness and pursuit of your rewards that you offer. Help us to do it out because it's who we are and help us to do it out of a love for you and a love for others. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.